become Batman. Good luck, Harry Potter. Well, cover me with eggs and flour and bake me for 40 minutes. Welcome to Screen Masters with me, Bav. And me, Flo. And this week, we're back round to movies. And as you can see, we're back at the studio again, recording with, well, for me, slightly more comfortable seats, whether you said your bum's hurting yeah, already. Yeah, my bum's hurting a bit. Fair enough. I don't like the bar stools. You may have seen my discomfort if you watched the video version of the last one. But um, anyway, yes, we're back. We're, we're going to carry on in this format for now, because we quite enjoy coming up to the frozen wastes yeah. uh, of the north of the UK. It's a little bit and this record this, it is bloody it's nippy. In fact, it leads me, oh God, it go. leads me to the immortal words of Travis. Travis this And time. I always think this when I come to the north. Mm -hmm. Why does it always rain on me? Okay, well, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> I didn't bet, get pity laugh. No, no, you didn't, that's, because that's I'm actually no thinking cell. it did actually chuck it down. Yeah, it did, it shut it down with rain. That's why it popped it my head so it actually thought it wasn't a pre-planned one then. No, no, that popped oh, into my head on the way up. I was like, more, impre that. more impressed then. Uh, thanks, impressed. thanks. Um, <laughs> but, yes, so, hello, welcome. We're glad you're here. As always, let's do the little bits of admin first. You can see us on your favourite podcast platform of choice, or hear us even on your favourite podcast platform of choice, which I'm guessing you've done if you're listening to this. You can head over to the YouTube channel. And watch us over there. We haven't got a nice link for it yet because we're not at 100 subs. So if you could go over there and subscribe to YouTube, to the YouTube channel for us, it would mean the world. Because as soon as we get over 100 subscribers, we can then have a nice proper YouTube link. Like youtube.com slash bikeback or something like that. But go over to YouTube, search for Screen Masters or Bikeback Media where you'll find podcasts by our, our cohorts up here at the Bikeback Media Network. Obviously, if you want to support us more directly, you can visit Patreon uh, and uh, donate money there. We have uh, five, uh, ten, and fifteen dollar subscriptions. Is it five? The reason I thought it was one, five, and fifteen. Do anyway, remember, do you not remember the video? No, that was last month. With tiers of one, ten, and fifteen dollars. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't. Um, so yes, go over to Patreon. We've got multiple tiers, as my my erstwhile friend here reminds me. Um, erstwhile. That's well, yeah. yeah. Good word, isn't it? Check you out using know, big words man, today. I'm obviously feeling good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all of this information, you can find the links to all of this over at the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the screen masters. Over there, look at the top. The pinned link at the top of the page will take you to any of these places where you can donate to us, support us, like, subscribe. You know the deal by now. It means a lot to us. Leave a comment, tell us what you want to see. And in fact, today's episode mm -hmm. is from uh, a request that we got early on. Mm -hmm. And I was merely sitting on it until the latest film by this person came out. Yes. So that I could watch it to know whether it, uh, it would be included. Um, spoilers, it wasn't. Um, spoilers, it was. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, it's also because... Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, get, we'll to get, that. get to that. So anyway, welcome. As this will seem slightly strange, because I realise that you've already had one episode this year, uh, which was the South Park episode, and that was our first episode of 2020. But we actually shot that way before Christmas, so we're idiots and we forgot to do the whole Christmassy New Year stuff knowing that it would go out on time. So anyway, hi, it's currently mid-January. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. And we hope you have a merry, had a Merry Christmas and all that sort of stuff and didn't, you know, 
decide you're going to ditch your family and run off to Canada. I don't know. It, whatever you did, oh, I hope you had a good time. Uh, <laughs> I just started throwing that. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> so this week, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to start with a little bit of a catch up on what we have been watching, and then we're going to get into our main topic, which is this week looking at the work of Quentin Tarantino, uh, but specifically picking our top three. Uh, what are our top three Tarantinos? He's done 10 films, we shall go through them in a bit. Um, but yeah, first, let's uh, let's catch up then, mate. What have you been watching? Oh, well, I've watched a lot. Well, yeah, other um, than what we're discussing today. And yeah, no, no, no. Episode. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a very busy month, I think, you know, December, so, yeah. uh, beginning of January. So there's We've been... We've had some fairly large films released, I would have said. Yeah, there's been a lot of large films released. Um, now, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the elephant in the room, first of all. The Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, which... We both went and watched together with, I think uh, so. with, with my beautiful, awesome goddaughter. What do I mean, and, I think uh, so? Of course, yes, I did go and see it. I didn't think well, I'd go yeah. and see it. Um, so. But uh, I think that's something that we may pick up on at a later point. I think there's enough conversation and debate about that film. Well, like we've said, uh, so what yeah. we're going to do, um, whether it, we get a chance to record it today or whether we'll do it next recording time, we're, we're probably going to do a, a, a special uh, a separate episode looking at Rise of Skywalker and uh, the full series of The Mandalorian now that that has finished being shown in the States. But we're going to do it separately because obviously we're going to go spoilery on it. Mm -hmm. And we're aware that not everyone will have seen particularly The Mandalorian yet. And people may still have not had the chance to see Rise of Skywalker. Um, so we're probably going to do that as a separate episode that you can then tune into if you want to hear. But similarly, if you've not watched it yet, you can leave it on the back burner and come back to it when you're ready. Um, but yes, we will be discussing that, definitely. We will, we will. Uh, other films, uh, Master... Now, I'm going to say it's going to have to be Master Z, because it's the, the you know it's, it's American audience, yeah. even though if it's it, it's a Z, not a Z, uh, which is the kind of spin-off film of the It Man series. Indeed, yes. Uh, also starring our wonderful, wonderful friend, Dave Batista. Oh, is Batista in it? Good old Batista like... is, is in it. Good old I'm, I'm not, Batista. I'm not, yeah, damn it, that song's now in my head again. Uh, you see, I keep messing the lines up in my head. I keep going, I walk for miles inside this pit of danger. And I'm like, no, that's wrong. The first line is, I walk alone yeah. inside this pit of danger. But I'm, yeah, but I you're, you're getting to the chorus, up in my own head. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the chorus that stands out. My point yeah, is, yeah. it's been stuck in my head so long yeah. that I've actually forgotten what order it goes in now. <laughs> I'm just singing bits in my head, you know? Um, so, yeah, that was very, very enjoyable. Uh, I mean, uh, again, I think we'll hopefully touch on... Uh, the It Man series at some point in the in the near future. Um, another film which I watched. Now this was a film which I was looking forward to watching, but knew with a dubious heart that it was going to be tough. Which was The Irishman. Mm -hmm. uh, now three and a half hours was not an easy feat for this film. It it it. You look at three and a half hours and you wonder, can you survive three and a half hours of a Scorsese film this long? Is, is is it is it got enough substance? I had to do it in two, maybe three sittings. It 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 was not the easiest of flows films. No, I get that. Um, enjoyable, yes. Do I have problems with it? Yes. I have issues with the length of it. Doesn't need to be three and a half hours. Mm. I understand that it's a very big epic piece, a yeah. very big narrative to tell. Um, I think it's taken liberties with the the death of Jimmy Hoffa. You see, I know nothing you know, about this. Because I've not watched it yet, because I don't know who Jimmy Hoffa is. Yeah. And 
Scorsese traditionally is, I, I don't know, in my head, he's, he's gangster films. He does mm-hmm. gangster films. Mm-hmm. And this is, for, uh, I think yes. Jimmy Hoffa was a member of the gang, uh, Matthew he, or something. No, he, he, he was basically, it's all, he, he was basically um, to do with kind of uh, the unions. Ah, okay. Oh, okay, so or, I'm wrong then. You know, but I've looked at it and gone, oh, oh, it's another Scorsese gangster film that's three and a half hours long. Don't get me wrong. There's My a lot God, of I'm going to have to pitch two days for this yeah, sort no, of no. thing. But. There's a lot of gangster stuff in there because it's Scorsese, you kind of expect it. Yeah. Um, there are good performances. Uh, you know, Joe Pesci is fantastic in this. You don't realise quite how much Joe Pesci has been away for a while, and then he pops up in this, and I'm like, oh, just he's fantastic. Yeah, I can't he's fantastic. Last time I saw him in. Yeah, that's. Uh, it, I can't think of what the what it was previous no, to this, man. but yeah, he's he's fantastic in it. Um, don't get me wrong, Pacino does a Pacino. It, you know, a very loud, very obnoxious, very boisterous kind of you know Pacino. De Niro, very understated. You know, very quiet, kind of underselling it. Um, He's not the best of characters. Like th- this is not a film where you're going to go by the end. Oh, I feel sorry for his character. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's an outright bastard. Basically, <laughs> nice. um, I do have a couple of issues. One is is with the de aging, whereas I commend the attempt to do it. Like de aging the face, it works. It does work. And yeah, you look at Rob De Niro and his piercing blue eyes at points. Like freaks you out a little bit. But the problem for me is you can't change <coughs> the, the age of a person's body. There's a scene where he's kind of beating up a shop owner and he's yeah. like kicking him on the ground. At this point, you're looking, thinking, maybe he's supposed to be in his 30s, maybe his 40s. His body is that of a 70-year-old. Yeah, it, it does not look all that well. One of the criticisms I've heard is uh, the lack of female roles within this. I do agree. A lot of people have been very critical about Anna Paquin's role, but I actually understand the criticisms for it, but I also understand the reason for her being in the film the way she is. Her character is supposed to be quite an understated because if she said something, then that's saying more. Her silence speaks more volumes to Robert De Niro's character than any words that mm-hmm. she can say. So, My counter... I struggle with this sometimes as well when people... You know, there's not enough females in the film mm-hmm. and things. When it's a historical piece, mm-hmm. uh, surely we have to take into account the times that it was taking place. Mm-hmm. Were there a lot of females in this environment that we're looking at? Mm-hmm. Were they anything other than eye candy and something to be slung over one's arm when one entered a bar or a club or whatever? I, I mean, I assume it goes back to the past and with what sixties, seventies. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I mean, it's, uh, so the, the so why would there be suddenly no. a big girl power group? No, but I think the, side? I don't know. I mean, I think this is perhaps one of Scorsese's things. Maybe it's something that he should tackle. But if you look at the range of Scorsese films, you don't look at them and think. That's a strong female leader, or that's a strong oh, yeah. female character. You don't really get that sense from no, any Scorsese no, 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 film. No. I'd like to see him tackle that. Yeah, that'd I be think that would be an interesting, uh, interesting. You're right. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I mean, I think the thing I'm talking about is, I think it's called positive discrimination, where you, you go over and above to put someone in there yeah. to meet to tick certain yes. boxes. Yeah, to tick boxes where it yes. may not be necessary. Yes. Yes. It's like I, I um, <laughs> Disney have done a remake of uh, a live-action version of Lady and the Tramp. Mm. And it's, it's only been released onto Disney Plus. They haven't done a cinema release for it. But the the main uh, couple in that, or, or there is a couple in that film, who who is a a black woman and a white man, or a black man and a white woman. I can't remember now. But there's definitely an interracial relationship. Now this film is set in like the twenties, thirties. I don't think that's realistic. Is the is the is this film set in the twenties and thirties, or have like they, the have original they... was? That's my point. If oh, you okay. move it to the present day yeah. and do that, no problem. No problem whatsoever. You know, change, yeah, change it. Make it more diverse to reflect the modern day. 
that's fine. If you're going to set it in the same time period, mm -hmm. you can't increase the diversity because the diversity wasn't there. Yes. So how can I get into this film as being based in this reality you've created yeah. when I know in this reality that yes. woman wouldn't have been dating that man or vice versa? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, like I love Mary Poppins Returns, but the one of the, again, we're in the Great Depression here, or we're just coming out of the Great Depression, which I think was sort of 30s, 40s? I don't know. I'm crap at dates, sorry. Comments section and all that stuff. Um, Where were you pointing at? And correct, I was pointing down at the floor. I was nowhere near my penis this time. You're obsessed with penises. Um, You're the one that brought it up. I was just asking where you were pointing. So, I uh, there, there's a guy at the beginning when the people come from the bank to try and to tell them they're being evicted or they've got to pay a loan back, and there's a black guy who's in a power of position at the bank, and in the back of my mind I'm going, but he wouldn't have been. They'd never have employed mm. a black man into that position mm. at that time in America. It mm. just wouldn't have happened. Mm. So, how do you get? You know, what what mm. should we do about that? Mm -hmm. Because you're you're not reflecting history as it was. You're trying to show it as more diverse, which I get. Diversifying sake. Exactly. It's it, like say, yeah, it's diversity for diversity's sake or positive discrimination because you're you're putting people in there who wouldn't have been there at the time. Mm. Now, I'm not saying I'm for it or against it or whatever. I'm just bringing it up as a point because it interests me that how we get around these things in 2019, 2020, as we are now, mm -hmm. um, with this triggered outrage culture and, and, and you know, as we've said before, judging uh, 20, 30-year-old things by modern standards and, and how do you get around the problems that inherently creates mm -hmm. with reflecting the realisticness, or <laughs> that's a good word, <laughs> reflecting the reality of the world as it was back then. Mm. You know, should we should we cover up the fact that black people were probably still slaves and working in households at that time? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Or should we put them in a position of power in the bank to show, hey, we're diverse, but that's not a true reflection of how true. things were, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really difficult mm. thing mm. that I think Hollywood is, is going to continue working with and, and struggling with to, to figure out how to do. Mm. But I, you know, Going back to what you're saying about Scorsese, you've got a fair point there, actually, because I think back over the stuff I have seen of his and, and you know, being aware of his work, and, yeah, there's not a huge amount. Like, the only one that popped into my head was, oh, isn't Cameron Diaz in Gangs of New York in a fairly prominent role? That's about yeah. all I can think of. Yeah, but, like, but I think of The Aviator. Yeah, I can't in that think of a woman. Shutter Island, I can't think of a big lead female role no. in that. You know, I'm just... Things that are popping into my head. I think no. you might be right there. Yeah. I think maybe that's something he w he would does need to look at. Yeah. Uh, the other one film that I'll mention uh, before going over to you is is The King, which was on Netflix. And I was curious about this. One. Oh, is this the one about Henry the? Something yes. Yeah, Henry the. I think it's a fifth. His name's Howard, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. His name's. Uh, and it was it was interesting. Timothy Chalamet, I think his name is. Uh, Robert Patterson's in there as well as a completely. Ludicrous Frenchman. His his French accent is fucking hilarious. Nice. I do get the feeling. Is it, uh, it Jean-Claude? It is exactly uh, that. Like, exactly that. Uh, so yeah, and uh, it was it was not as intense as I thought it was going to be. Uh, it did go by a little bit quicker than I thought. There's a good couple of battle scenes in there, but yeah, if anything, it showed me that this guy Timothy Chalamet, I think his name is. I think he's going to be an up-and-comer. I think he's going to be very, very prominent because I think he's, he does do a very good role for, for, for what is there. So, uh, Has he done much else? I think, he's, yeah, not, he's, he's a name that's in my head, but yeah, I can't he's, I think he's going to, you're going to spot him over the next couple of years, I think, in, in, in uh, high-profile films. Interesting. But, uh, how about yourself? What have you been? Well, I'll mention a couple. 
I don't want to take too long, but um, a couple of films I've watched, uh, both Netflix originals, mm-hmm. um, of massively varying quality. Okay, I know one of these. So, uh, the first one I watched is a film called I Am Mother. Oh, okay, yes, I've heard of this. Very interesting. Yes. Very interesting film. Your post-apocalyptic landscape type job again. Uh, a girl has grown up um, with a robot that she calls Mother, and she is like the... The, the, the robot has been put in place to rebreed humanity. So there are a lot of, you know, test tube babies, basically. They've got a lot of embryos and things. So the mother gets the embryo and puts it in and, you know, creates a new baby and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you follow this girl's journey. She grows up and learns more about her world and the way things work. And you st- she starts to question what she's being told. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes, is mother what you think she is? Sure. And is the world what you think it is? Sure. And then it starts to delve deeper and deeper. But to be honest, the reason... I mean, it's, it's a decent enough story and the, the plot plays out and it's beautiful. The, the, the CG work is particularly why I call mm. it up because the, the amount of effects in there for the budget they had, because I know it was a very low budget, uh, it's incredible. And you watch... It was a man in a suit... Now, if you go and see a picture of Mother, maybe Wayne, if when he's editing this, could pop up a picture somewhere here of uh, the robot, uh, the robot called Mother from I Am Mother. They've designed it brilliantly because mm-hmm. the head from Mother is a very, very tall robot, and the head is taller than a human head, and it looks like you couldn't fit a human head mm-hmm. into the head. So you think it's completely CG, but what they did was his head finishes at the neck. And then the head of the robot oh, is a completely okay. animatronic robot bit okay. that was a genuine prop that they chucked on top of him. Okay. So it looks brilliant because it looks like, because they've put loads of detail in on the neck. So you can see that the neck is actually only about that thick. Mm-hmm. Like it's only in two inches in diameter. So you know that you can't fit a human in it. Mm-hmm. But it moves so well and looks so convincing that you're like, but it's got to be a man in a suit yeah, because yeah. it moves so well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really interesting to watch that. And like I say, there's there's um, uh, the, the VFX thing that I watched. They looked at this film and got the director in to talk about it and how he did it all and stuff. And it's really good. And there's bits where um, there's a baby version of her and they got a genuine baby in interacting with this robot. Oh, okay. And the reactions that they get from the baby are genuine. Oh, yeah. And it's hilarious because the, the like the robot's feeding her food and the baby's going, ah, and stuff. <laughs> and like there's a bit where the baby has to walk along holding the robot's hand, and that's the one bit they CG'd. He said because the baby just wouldn't play ball. Sure. So it's actually her mum. Uh, okay. leading her along, yeah, yeah. and then they've just CG'd the robot's hand in over the top. But he's like, that's pretty much the only place we had to do that. The baby was fine everywhere else. Yeah. But yeah, that's really good, and that's on Netflix, and that's called I Am Mother. Uh, and then the other one... I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I know. We discussed this off-pod, or rather I ranted about it off-pod. Six Underground, which I, I thought, hey, this looks just like keep, a lot of fun. Time, yeah, yeah I know, don't worry, I've got the time in there. So... <laughs> Yes, this is Six Underground, and I thought this might be quite fun. Ryan Reynolds, team of, I don't know, ex-cons it sounded like, or something, going out and doing jobs. Oh, hang on, I've heard of this one. It's called The Losers, but fair enough. Um, And then I realised the crux of the whole thing when I started watching it is, hang on, this initial action sequence is tonally everywhere, is incredibly misogynistic, and doesn't make a whole shitload of sense. Oh, directed by Michael Bay. Okay, right, I see where we're going now. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Hello, upskirt shots. 
in 2020. Mm -hmm. Michael Bay, love him. No, I don't. He's shit. Action sequences, so ridiculously quickly cut together that you have no time at all to orient yourself in the space that they're operating in. So you have no idea. There's a bit in a, like a multi-story penthouse flat or something in... I'm fairly sure most of this was filmed in Dubai, or Abu Dhabi, around that area, um, it, which we'll come to. But it, there's this big... and It's like a multi-story thing, and that there's different characters on different levels, all doing different bits and pieces, and they're all there's guys coming at all of them. But the way everything's being cut together is you've got no fucking idea whether this character on the top floor is actually on the second floor, the third floor, below this guy, ahead of this guy, mm. doing this when that one's doing that, or what this one's doing and that just makes no fucking sense because he doesn't know what he's doing. He thinks a series of action sequences is story. And it's not. Like I say, tonally, it's all over the place. One of the guys they recruit to the team is a black guy who's an ex-soldier. And he fakes his own death so he can join their team, right? Because he's got nothing to live for. We then go to his funeral and one of his best mates from the army and stuff is giving a big eulogy about him at the funeral. And the guy who is faked his own death is in the background watching. And this, it's a very big, muscular looking black guy. So of course, partway through the eulogy, they have him break down into tears and start going overly emotional and overly dramatic and stuff because that's then the comedy of a massive black man crying at a funeral which, again, initially we're led to believe, oh, I've got nothing left to live for. Then you see this funeral. He's got family. He's got friends. He's got... And he's just stood there going, yeah, I don't really give a shit. I've just thrown all that away. And it's like, what? What, what are you doing? So we're supposed to laugh at this and this guy really letting go. Then we cut to a scene where essentially we're looking at... It's supposed to be a, a, an allegory for... I don't know if that's the right word, actually. It's supposed to be a comparison to Syria, basically, and they've just changed the name. So you've got a despot who doesn't like his own... is killing his own people with chemical weapons, but is being funded because he's fighting a worse evil. So, okay. Syria. So Assad was gassing his own people, but he was fighting ISIS in his own country, so we backed him to fight ISIS because they're worse than he is. Mm -hmm. It's like, what? But anyway, that's the, the where they go with. But the whole thing is played totally straight, totally serious. We're supposed, you know, Brian Reynolds has got his best dramatic, oh my God, I'm so upset face on for all this death and destruction. It's like, no, you, you haven't set this up. I, I'm not in a serious frame of mind right now because you're treating all this serious shit with, as, as throwaway garbage. You can't cut from that and then expect me to invest seriously in a tragedy that is a tragedy, there's no doubt about it. But you've never told me that you actually care about any of this stuff because the characters just don't seem to care about anything. And then suddenly everyone's supposed to care about this one thing and it just doesn't work. Um, so yeah, as it's Michael Bay, we get lots of lovely Black Hawk helicopters, as you would expect. Lots of lovely um, uh, getting the light to flare in the camera mm -hmm. where he does that thing where it spins around mm -hmm. the person he's looking at, usually a female ass and the, the light will just flare in from the sun behind them because he loves, loves that hero pose looking up mm. at them. It's all there. But this is the point. It's just him going, oh, you got a paycheck there? Yeah, go on then. I suppose I can just do what I did for Transformers, the first one, actually, and just do a bit of that. Mm. Um, there's a bit in it where they go to Vegas, and it's brilliant because it's very clearly Abu Dhabi. 
Like, and I know this for a fact, not because I looked it up, but because I watch Formula One. Oh, okay. And there's a bit where they're racing around a track mm -hmm. at the beginning, and I'm like, huh, there isn't an F1 track in Vegas. And it's because it's the Yas Marina circuit in Abu Dhabi. And they try and say it's Vegas. It's like, everyone knows that's not Vegas. Like, they don't even put stock footage of the Vegas strip in okay. before going to location. They actually use the external footage of Abu Dhabi as the location. There's a bit where someone gets thrown out of a building in Vegas. But then later on, we're in Turkmenistan or something it's called. Whatever the fake Middle Eastern country they've made up that's the bad guy. And we go there, and wouldn't you know it, that same building that's in Vegas is also in Turkmenistan. How weird. Mm -hmm. It's just so cheap, man. Um, yeah, and again, I wanted to like it. It's written by the Deadpool guys. Mm. Um, Turgistan. That's what they call it, Turgistan. Um, it's written by the guys who wrote Deadpool. Paul Weinick and Rhett Reese. Now, and that's what they've tried to do again. You know, there's a bit... There's the opening sequence when you're, you're in a car chase, basically, and someone's in the back. They're trying to remove a bullet from an injured teammate. Ryan Reynolds is in the front with someone's eyeball, and that's getting slipped about all over the place and being really funny, and Dave Franco's driving the car. Mm -hmm. And it's just all kicking off all at once. And, yeah, that's funny. I, I, you know, some of it is quite funny. But <laughs> the fourth wall-breaking self-referential stuff works in Deadpool because Deadpool is that character. Deadpool doesn't take anything seriously. Deadpool does treat things very lightly. So you go with it when they do that. When they mix these, these really ridiculously harsh tones together of stupid comedy mm. and, you know, dark tragedy, it, it works more because you accept that from the character. Mm. This film's supposed to be in the real world and does, bears no passing resemblance to the real world at any point. Mm. And I just, it, like, don't just keep writing the same script and changing the actors around. And like I say, I wouldn't even say it's a particularly original idea, because it's basically just the story of The Losers, which is a two-part graphic novel that's available and was also made into a film with um, Chris Evans. And Chris Evans. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Negan. Saldana, I forget Negan's name. And uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Thank you. That's the one. Uh, yeah, there was a good... good yeah, was a, was a good Idris Elba was in there as well. Yeah, that's it. He played, yeah, he's in there. Um, I think it was Jason Patrick. Yes, he's the bad, the bad guy, isn't he? Max. Yeah. 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 It's a great film, I really like Yeah, it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Six Underground on Netflix. Don't watch it. It's bollocks. Absolute bollocks. Unless you like Michael Bay, in which case, well, there's no hope for you, is there, really? Well, but, if, if, you know. you, if you're a Michael well, Bay actually, fan and you're listening see. to this, then let's see. Not Michael Bay, uh, Armageddon and The Rock. I think I'd back both of those. Other than that, mm. you can do one. But yeah, there you go. There's one positive, one negative for me. On, uh, on what I've been watching. All right then, let's uh, find my notes and we shall get into our main topic. He says, flicking past multiple pages of notes for the next episode. Um, okay. So, shall I go first? You go first. Okay. This is, you know, maybe, maybe this is Indeed, yours. Indeed, maybe this is mine. So, I am gonna start with, well, actually, let's let's prefix this a little bit then. Um, Tarantino. Mm. Ten films. Uh, started in 1992 with Reds of Dogs. Uh, now, here's, here's the thing. I haven't written these down, so we're going to try and do this off the top of my head. So, Reds of Dogs, Pulp Fiction, mm. Jackie Brown, mm -hmm. 
Then I want to say... Kill Bill 1 and 2. Kill Bill 1 and 2 takes us to 5. You've got Death Proof, which was yeah. part of Grindhouse. Inglorious Bastards, Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Django in America, and Django Unchained, which comes in the middle there somewhere. So yes, there you go, there's the 10 films. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm... Like I say, some, someone, I think it was one of your friends, wasn't it, who said, oh, well, you can do an episode on Tarantino. Um, I'll be straight, I'm not... I'm not like a massive Tarantino fanboy. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I. I think he's got some amazing qualities, and I think he is fantastic at certain things, mm-hmm. like a, almost genius level at some things. I yeah. think he is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I just think some of what he does it just isn't my kind of no. thing. No, not every film. Like Django Unchained, I can appreciate, but it's just not for me. I can't. I can't. Really, don't enjoy Django mm. Unchained. Death. Death Proof didn't really enjoy I, it at all. Death Proof is hit and miss. I mean, the problem is that was. That was Grindhouse, yeah, and that was Planet Terror and and uh, Death Proof. Mm-hmm. Planet Terror is by far and away the better film because that's Robert Rodriguez doing a proper B movie Grindhouse mm-hmm. type film in his style, and I think his style works a lot better for that sort of stuff. You know, again, as we've discussed today, weirdly, go and watch Dust Till Dawn, the original Dust Till Dawn, not the series, the the original movie, and again, not the oh, what was it called? The second one was called Hangman's Daughter, and I think had Rob. Patrick in it. Point is, I think by the time you got to the third or fourth, I'm fairly sure John Bon Jovi was really? the lead in one of them. Oh my by the time we got to the third or fourth, okay. or yeah, I'm not confusing it with vampires. No, I'm not confusing it with that because that, that was, was Jimmy Woods. Yeah, that's it, Jimmy Woods. Yeah, that's right. So no, I'm not confusing it with that. It must, yeah, it must be one of the Dust Till Dawns. Yeah. He ended up as a lead. But anyway, um, and yeah, I've uh, like there's other stuff he's done. Um, there's a film called Four Rooms, yes. which is based around a hotel where there's yes. four different rooms that we go and look in, I've seen that, and they're yeah. all directed by a different person, um, our friend Gary Keller, mm-hmm. uh, again, got, got me into that. And I, I love his part in that. I think that's really good. I think it's a great film anyway. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say I'm like a, oh my God, the new Tarantino's out, I've got yeah. to go and watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, that's just not, not for me. Like we said, I, we've waited for this episode so that we had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood out on home video so that we could include that in the discussion and, and like I say, see whether it made it. It didn't for me. It did for you, so that'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, alright then. I'll stop fluffing around it. Top three. My number three is his first film, Reservoir Dogs. Nice. From 1992. Now, as far as the plot for this one goes, it's fairly straightforward. It's, it's a bank job gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It, what makes it interesting is, is is Tarantino playing with his gimmicks, which I believe every single film follows his sort of... He uses the chapter gimmick in everything. I couldn't think of one where he doesn't have the chapter gimmick in place. Sure. Certainly all the ones I watched did. Yeah, no, pretty much. I, uh, I can't think yeah, of one no, that doesn't. Because so, yeah. he likes doing that chapter thing, yeah. and also he likes playing with timeline. And, yes. and going, telling a bit of the story at the beginning, and then going back and telling it afterwards. And, it, you know, that can work sometimes. I, I don't... I feel it becomes a bit of a gimmick mm-hmm. at times, and a crux maybe. And I, you know, even though one of these is my favourite, I I am aware that there is a problem with it mm-hmm. to do with that, which I'll get to. But yeah, Reservoir Dogs is a bank job. We start out, we see basically the aftermath of a bank job gone wrong, and then we follow these characters. We go back and we see what led them to this point. We're aware there's a mole in the group. 
we don't know who it is. So again, we're trying to look for that as we're going through. Um, looking at the cast list, uh, you've got the... So I've just written down the main colours because everyone identifies themselves by a colour. That's mm -hmm. their code names because that's a, a very funny scene at the beginning where they're discussing the code names and you get... Uh, is it Steve Buscemi moaning about being Mr Pink because it's Mr Pussy? Uh, or is it Mr. Uh, Mr. Brown is Quentin Tarantino and he bodes about being Mr. Brown because it's Mr. Shit. So you've got Harvey Keitel as Mr. White, Tim Roth as Mr. Orange, Michael Madsen as Mr. Blonde or Vic Vega, who is the brother of Vinnie Vega, mm -hmm. I believe, isn't he? Well, in the, from, in the Tarantino quite, era Quite, because there, yes. there is supposed to be a Tarantino-verse, isn't yes, there? Yes, Supposedly. Um, Steve Buscemi as Mr. Pink. Edward Bunker as Mr. Blue, and Quentin Tarantino as Mr. Brown. So we follow these guys, they're in a warehouse basically, they're posting. Some people are injured, some people are not, and it's just, it's cool. Like, there is such a cool factor associated with it. It's that classic thing of Little Green Bag, and I'm coming to the soundtrack because Jesus Christ, but Little Green Bag, everyone in suits, with shades on, Ray-Bans on, walking down the street, it's that it was just the epitome cool. of cool. Like, how exactly. many people, when that film came out, were like, right, I need to get all of my mates together. Yep, we all it. need to go in black suits and black sunglasses yeah. for Halloween or whatever, because guess what? That looks fucking exactly. sick. And it's that that comes with it. And I think he, he developed that here. And I think Pulp Fiction, the one after, really nailed that sort of cool factor. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, Pulp Fiction, I think... I feel it, it, it glorifies some things that I wouldn't glorify, but and that's why it, you know spoilers. It doesn't make it into my list, but I get that the cool factor behind it uh, uh, helps. Um, uh, I think Tim Roth's probably my favourite, and uh, again, this, this this opened me up to something I'd not seen before when I first watched it. When they're in the warehouse and everyone, you know, there are people who are injured. People aren't... He's very good at demonstrating pain mm. and, and, and violence as it would be in real life, mm. you know? You get what I'm saying? Not, not the Hollywood imagining of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, Because, you know, we imagine that when you get shot, a little puff goes off on your chest. Well, it doesn't. That's the squib mm -hmm. exploding. You know, that's the squib going off in Hollywood, creating that little puff of smoke. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't happen in real life. But in our heads... That's what we would imagine would happen when someone gets shot. Mm -hmm. But Tarantino doesn't work to that. Because he's like, no, because that's not what it would look like. Mm -hmm. I need to make it look like something else. When people get shot and are in pain, they're not just sat at the side being quiet. They are writhing. Mm -hmm. They are in agony. They mm -hmm. are moaning. Even though you've got other characters trying to have dialogue over the top, you've still got someone in the background going, ah, Because yeah, no. they're in fucking pain. They've yeah. been shot. And it's, it, that, that was the first sort of time I'd seen that. I went, huh, it doesn't look like the violence I see on other things. It doesn't look as polished. It looks, it looks like I could touch it. Mm. It looks like that blood pouring onto the floor is real. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah, could yeah, actually yeah, yeah, dip yeah. my finger in that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Now, obviously, um, like I said, the soundtrack, I still remember this. I love the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. uh, you got Little Green Bag, Hooked on a Feeling, which obviously came back with Guardians. They used that one as well. I gotcha, magic carpet ride, full for love, stuck in the middle, harvest moon, and coconut, which is the lime in the coconut. I love that song. Um, 
And I, I love that soundtrack, particularly Magic Carpet Ride, which at the time was not a song I'd heard. Mm. And I adore that track. It's such a great rock song. Um, I think you can start to see as well where his flares lie in script writing. Mm. And that's, that's where mine goes, because I, I think he is a genius scriptwriter. I was just about to say, like, possibly one of the greatest scriptwriters of our time. But whether I'd go that far, I don't know. I need to do some more research. But I definitely think his genius lies mm. in scripting and his dialogue yeah. and how he can create things from that. And in this one, it's mostly just the one-liners and the, the pithy comments back and forth. And again, the fact that the dialogue feels like natural dialogue. It doesn't feel like an actor reading a script. Mm. You know, it, it feels more naturalistic. Um, and yeah, like I said, the violence isn't anything I hadn't seen before, but I just hadn't seen it done this way. Mm. So it really hit with it's the me. intensity, the yes. the actual connection to the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes when they just throw away, oh look, that you know, two bit character has been shot. Oh, nobody cares. Okay, this person integral to the whole plot because this is a very small cast mm. with just the you know the. the oh yeah, it's basically, basically just them, yeah. which is why I wrote their names down. Yes, there are some cops chasing them. Yeah, exactly. Blah, 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 but, but that's it. In, in, it's in basically a five-six hander between them. Area as well. Yeah. In this one little warehouse. So it's like okay, every character here is integral to the plot. Everything they do is integral to the plot. Yeah, it's no throwaway kind of moment. There's no throwaway character in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, and then there was, I mean, I'll just touch on it, but there, there was a lot of controversy at the time mm. around uh, the stuck in the middle sequence the where, thing. yeah, Michael Madsen's torturing uh, one of the security guards, isn't it, who, who's from the bank. Um, I mean, again, I, I only bring it up because it was a thing at the time, but why, why did that get into the public zeitgeist? Well, because it felt real. That's why. Mm -hmm. That's why people complained about it, because they watched it, <laughs> and, and it felt like this was actually happening. Um, and that's down to, you know, Michael Madsen being a freaking nutcase and making yeah. himself look as if he could, yeah. he was genuinely doing it and enjoying it yeah. and everything. And, you know, yeah, the guy sounds terrified, strapped to a chair. He's covered in blood. He's screaming. He's crying. He's, you know, it, it, again, it feels real. Yeah. He's not sat there being some big hero asshole going, oh, yeah, dude, whatever you want to me, I'm never going to talk, you know? Yeah. And he's not being there just being a simpering bastard. He's, he feels like a real person who's really stuck in that scenario and just wants to bargain for his life. He doesn't know what's going to fucking happen to him, and he's terrified over that. You know, at least if you're put in the situation, you're like, I am going to kill you. Yeah. At least you know, and you can start to prepare yourself, I would have thought, for that scenario. There's, um... But being there at the whims of a madman, not knowing where this ends... I, that terrifies me far more. There's a wonderful parody of this in my favourite TV show of all time, Always Sunny. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's an episode where Charlie catches a leprechaun. Okay. And, uh, and so basically, uh, you know, a, a guy, and it's, it's St. Patrick's Day, and, uh, you know, a uh, little guy basically breaks into the bar and then goes down to the basement and gets stuck on a glue trap. Right. Because Charlie's always putting glue traps down yeah. to try and catch, catch the leprechaun. Oh. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> to catch the leprechaun, because that's it. I every use it year, mice, but every right. year, Charlie wants to catch a leprechaun. And they're like, there's no such thing as leprechauns. And he's like, yeah, I'll still put the glue trap down. And he catches a leprechaun. <laughs> so in the end, like, he ties up the leprechaun and then, uh, you know, pulls out a switchblade and uh, starts drinking paint. Because that's Charlie. That's just Charlie. He's drinking straight paint. So he's now got the song on and he's dancing around and he's basically just about to slit the throat of this leprechaun wanting to find out where his pot of gold is because it's Charlie and of course he believes there's a pot of gold. 
And then eventually the rest of the gang comes in and they're like, Charlie, um, have you been drinking straight paint? <laughs> and uh, just like a it's a normal brilliant. thing. Yeah, so, but that's oh, Charlie. Charlie, have you yeah. been the paint again? Yeah, uh, and it's just <laughs> brilliant because it is oh, just literally a recreation. Shit. Every time you tell me about something on it, I do laugh. So I'm you for years. I need to watch it. I know. Telling you for years. I know. I will watch it. So yeah, that's fair enough. That's funny. I like that. But like you say, it's it's it was the first of his films that really showed a, a prominence and a prevalence of what he's capable of. And I would argue that over the years, sort of post-Jackie Brown maybe, he started to go away from the cool. You know, having cool gangsters doing sure. stuff. He diversified a yeah. bit, you know, because those first... I would argue the, the Reservoir Dogs, the Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, it, it was all that sort of yeah. cool underworld bad guys mm-hmm. or, you know, would be traditional bad guys. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they're bank robbers. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be him. Yeah. You don't want to be the cop coming in after him. You want to be the fucking... Even though he's on the floor, been shot and he's dying, you're like, I'd still rather be Mr. Orange than him, you know? Yeah. It's like the cop. It's yeah. like, mm. But he had that way of, of, of turning it on his head because they were his subjects and he made them seem like the coolest people on the planet that you wanted to be. Yeah. The uh, uh, individual performances, like you say, Michael Madsen is just... Yeah, I think he's stand out Scary as shit. I don't think um, a huge amount of him in the modern day. I've no. seen, and basically, I've seen him in stuff when he isn't being directed by Tarantino and I just don't think he's very good. Yeah, he's I mean, very crikey, well you could go back to... Um, shit, what was it I watched the other day that I forgot how many famous people were in or decent actors. Uh, species... From 1994, do you remember that? Natasha Henstridge as the alien. It was that sci-fi, well, basically a sci-fi porno, wasn't it? A yes. soft-core pornography yeah. sci-fi film with Natasha Henstridge. But yeah, Alfred Molina, Ben Kingsley, Michael Batson. I was like, huh, why are you liking this? This yeah. is shit. Um, but, yeah, no, Tim Roth and Harvey Keitel played very well against yeah. each other. Yeah, I, 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 like I'm a massive, I'm a huge Tim Roth yeah. Mark fan. Call it what you will. I love Tim Roth in pretty much everything he does. I was gutted when they cancelled Lie to Me. Yes, loved loved that that show. Well, I don't know. It kind of dripped off by the second season. I suppose so. I think the bit I loved the most is whenever they went to the ad breaks Mm -hmm. and they'd show you clips of real life faces showing that micro expression that showed you what they were just talking about. That was brilliant. You know, we're talking about whether people have a guilty face or not. Oh, here's OJ's face. Here's yeah. Bill Clinton's yeah. face when he's being asked about Lewinsky. And <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, interesting. Okay, like, really yeah. Yeah. No, it's very funny. Um, no, it's very interesting anyway. But yeah, there you go. Reservoir Dogs. Okay. That's my number three. Over to you. So I'm going to put the latest one at number three. Now, there's a reason for this, for two reasons. One, I really did like... You're right there. It's cold. Oh, Carry on. on, you poor little I thing. I talked too long. Uh, that's, that's what happens. I should have cut back to you after the intro. <laughs> I've talked my intro bit and then that, and now my coffee's cold. No. Um, yeah, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Um, there's a couple of reasons why. One, because it's the la- it's, it's kind of the latest one, and I wanted to discuss it. And also, I kind of suspected some of the ones that you would say. And I don't want to necessarily, you know, it's nice sometimes where we go completely separate and we have three separate films. And I think that may be what's going to happen. I don't know. I I do think that you will be shocked by what is my number one choice. Really? Okay. Okay. Considering what we know of each other and what we've discussed. Okay, all right. In which case, I genuinely think you're going to go, huh? Okay, right. Well, get to number one. Fair enough. Okay, all right. Um, But for this one as well. Sorry, just uh, just to. Cut in there. We haven't discussed this time actually what no. our top three are, so apologies if we get to 
number two and you, we both go, oh, hang on, we both got this one, our shit. Yeah, so... But apologies, we'll deal with that as we come to it. Yeah, it, it makes conversation interesting. Uh, but this is also kind of Tarantino's love letter to oh, cinema, yeah. uh, which, which I completely get. And, I mean, again, right, okay, so, I mean, looking at the cast for this one, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, he's cut, you, you would have thought at this point, like, you know, he's going to cast some smaller... No, no, let's go, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt... Yeah. Uh, you know, Margot Robbie, which I like the fact that at no point other than like the last scene, do Margot Robbie and Leonardo DiCaprio actually act together. Oh, really? That's one thing you do, yeah. Oh, so you're probably doing Yeah, so they don't actually act together mm. until the very, very yeah, last scene of the film. Yeah. Which, considering they start together in the film, which I really couldn't stand, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah, it's I quite interesting. Like uh, but we, we, we will get to that uh, another one. Uh, you've got Pacino's in there as well. This is to name but a few. There are loads of people in there. Tim, Tim Oliphant is a great person in there because he's playing a Western character. And I'm like, didn't, didn't, we, uh, didn't we see you in Deadwood? Mm -hmm. Throw back to a previous podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, this I, is... And I've said before, I love Tim Oliphant. Yeah, he, I think he's great. He, I've said before, he's the reason I like, he's part of the reason I like Die 4.0, so... <laughs> Yes, we, we won't go back to that one. Oh, no. uh, so I mean, it's, this is during that golden age of cinema, the 60s, 70s. Yeah. It, it, it shines itself so well. Tarantino shows his love of cinema, the inclusions of like the old styles, the old filming techniques. Uh, there's some really funny bits with, uh, you know, they're showing The Great Escape and DiCaprio's kind of cut back in, filling the Steve McQueen role. Um, oh, because he's, yeah, of course he's a stuntman, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, that, and, uh, and it, but it was just like, oh, okay, I might have got, starred in this in this film yeah and um then it shows basically him in that role and yeah. i was like wow you've you've put some technique together for this they've done the western stuff they've just shot it so very well in the right places the focus on tvs mm. uh at various points where they're showing old tv shows of that era mm -hmm. but they're not like showing it and then zooming in and showing it as though it's on screen no they're showing it through the tv which again is that visual style that i liked of it um, the music throughout the whole thing just seems very appropriate and very apt. There's this one great scene where he, uh, Brad Pitt's character goes into the, the kind of the Manson encampment and goes into the house to try and find the guy that he's known from years ago. And he goes in there and there's this really old school, kind of really suspenseful music. And I was just sat there, I was like, God, I'm waiting for something to jump out of the shadows. I don't imagine for any moment that that's going to happen, but that's the suspense that he's put there. Mm. And it's, it, it works for mm. me very, very well. Mm. Um, the narration we get at various points from Kurt Russell, because again, it's going through that chapter thing. We do have a six months later segment, mm -hmm. which really, really works well for me. Because again, we've got, okay, we're taking some of the history of Sharon Tate. I didn't know as much about this kind of time. I have read up a the little Manson bit. Stuff. The Manson stuff. Yeah, I've seen I knew two bits. or three different films about the Manson stuff. Yeah, so. I, I, I knew bits, but I didn't know enough. So kind of having watched this, I was like, okay, I, I'm going to kind of research up on this a little bit. Um, there's an absolutely brutal fight scene at the end um, with Brad Pitt. Basically, you know, people storm into this house. And Brad Pitt's just kind of stood there and he's just like, he's just smoked an acid cigarette. So he's away with the fairies, completely away with the fairies. And he's just like, he's just laughing to himself. He's like, are you real? Like he genuinely doesn't believe that this is all going on. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the fight ensues. And I mean, he absolutely beats the crap out of these people. Just punching them left, right, smashing their faces into fireplaces and stuff. 
there's a, you know this this girl who's basically just screaming her head off because she's just her whole face is just covered in blood. Yeah. It's covered in glass. It's a mess. Um, and then you get this brilliant scene with uh, with DiCaprio in the flamethrower, and he just basically goes out and just just flamethrows this girl in a pool. Yeah. But again, throws back to him using that while he was an actor, him training himself to use this weapon. And it shows you a scene right, right at the start of the film where he's like, he's using it. He's like, can we turn that down? It's yeah. a bit hot. And by this point, he's just like, he just flames um, the, the the dog, which Brad Pitt controls. In this whole fight sequence, he's like, and it, it, this dog is just ripping a guy's hand off, grabbing his testicles, just literally, and it's brutal as hell. And I loved it because that was Quentin Tarantino's best part at times is, is the gore that... As you said, the realism of that violence—it wasn't Hollywood at all. There's blood, there's gore everywhere. Like Brad Pitt gets stabbed in the thigh, I think, in like in the ass and the thigh, and it's bleeding. But he's just like—he's touching it because he's so out of it, he can't feel the pain. Yeah, uh, and it, it's just and brilliant. Like, yeah, and I always think, like you said, with his violence, it's not that—it's not that it's more graphic than a horror movie no. or something, because it's not. But I think you got the two horror movies tend to go too far sometimes mm. and up the gore to unrealistic levels too much that way and then yeah some hollywood stuff polishes it too much mm. and makes it look too crisp and clean and uh, and not real and he sits in between the two yeah. just enough gore so that it looks real it looks like they're pulling tendons and yeah. this that and the other and the guts have fallen out but not so splatty yeah. that it turns it into a, a ridiculously over the top you know torture porn film or something you know it's the kind of thing where you just kind of, when you're watching it, you're going, ooh. Yeah. And then you suddenly go, ooh. Yeah, and it. you're like, okay, that hit me. But yeah. that, you've taken, you haven't taken it too much far past that for me to go, oh. You've literally got, yeah. ooh. You know, so yeah, uh, very well played. I mean, this, which it's just fantastic. I mean, there the, the was the criticism, like the, the Bruce Lee scene. I was going to say, I hope you're going to mention the Bruce Lee yeah, scene. The, the Bruce I, Lee I have scene, issues with that as well. I de but. definitely do. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we all know that <laughs> there was a certain arrogance of Bruce Lee that, yeah. that's just commonplace but for him to just be picked up and thrown against the car by an individual I'm like no I mean I've, I've, I've watched it man I know he was trained trained by the best in Wing Chun yeah. I know that he would never Bruce ever Lee. have just been picked up and slammed yeah. against the car I find that very hard to believe he was a believe. fucking hard bastard yeah. genuinely um, a fucking hard bastard not a kayfabe hard yeah. bastard he was really a hard yeah. bastard um, so I don't I, I wasn't down with that arrogance scene but there's a scene later on where he played uh, i think his character margot robbie's character she she's been taught some fighting moves by him and i was like okay that's more appropriate that that more is more in line with the kind of character that he is so that was good um margot robbie is very good in it for the very minimal role that she plays mm. she plays this person who's just capitalized by cinema by herself on screen Captain. and the fact that she's on screen and can't seem to believe it. She goes to the theatre and she's just like, yeah, that's that's me on. Then they, they take a photo and she's just like, she's sat there really enjoying it with the, with the cinema goers. Mm. And she's really enjoying it. Which is the real harsh truth of the fact that this film is basically set up as a once upon a time in Hollywood. Because these are fictional characters which essentially prevent Sharon Tate and all of her close friends from being killed by the Manson family. That's where the, so instead of going into Sharon Tate's house, they go into DiCaprio's character's house. Uh, Rick Dalton, I think his name is. And so because of that, that never occurs. Yeah. And if you get this happy ending with, you know, Rick Dalton meeting Sharon Tate and like, yeah, he gets invited up to the house. He's like, oh, okay, this could be 
resurgence of my career now, mm. the, where the reality is they butchered and murdered her and all of her friends when she was nine months pregnant. Yes. Um, but it's that, know, uh, it's, he likes alternate history, doesn't yes, he? Yes. Yeah. As again, we'll see from my number yes, two. Yeah, so, I mean, it was two and a half hours, two and a, two forty, I think it was. I now, think you could chop about 20 minutes out. See, the things, I mean, I, I, you probably could, but... Because it, it, it just started um, to feel a bit long to me. Now, it doesn't... It started to feel long to me sort of an hour and 45, two hours mm. in. So that's not too bad. Mm. But, yeah, I just think there's about 20 minutes in the early bit. I'd, from the first two hours, I reckon I could get rid of about 20 minutes and then shorten it down a bit so that you're not quite as tired by the time I wasn't, you hit that mark. Um, but I wasn't as bothered by the time on this one, like having watched The Irishman, which is three and a <laughs> half hours long. And I was, like, I was looking at this going two, two hours 40. And I was an hour and a half in and I was like, I don't feel the sluggish pace of this one. I'm like, this has gone relatively quick. Whereas I was an hour and a half into Irishman going, when can I have my break? Yeah. I needed a break at that point. Whereas this, I was happy to go through. Um, there's some great performances in there as well. Uh, Maggie Qualley, I think her name is, which is going back to uh, The Last on Earth, which is a film that I discussed previously. Yeah. She's very good as this, one of these hippies that Brad Pitt meets on a journey one day. And uh, she's very good in, in, in her role. There's not much more female roles in this, uh, you know, aside from her and Margot Robbie, there's, there's not a great deal. But I really enjoyed it. You know, as, as a Tarantino one, a couple of his last ones haven't necessarily hit home, mm. but I thought this was a love letter to Hollywood, and I really enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I thought it was, like I say, I thought it was enjoyable. I had issues with the Bruce Lee sequence, mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I chop about 20 minutes out. But like I say, it's not to say I don't like it. I mean, generally, like I say, I think... As I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, there's like two of his films that I would say, actually, I don't want to watch that again. I don't really like it. And they are Jackie Brown and Kill Bill Volume 2. See, for me, it would be Django Unchained and Death Proof. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Whereas I'm a horror fan, so I kind of like Death Proof. But this, this, is, where the, this is where this is good, everybody. Exactly. We do have different opinions. Exactly. So, you know. But it's funny, isn't it, that generally, he, you know, like I say, that is not a bad film. Whatsoever. No. And it just doesn't quite make my top three because he's, he's done some good stuff. You know? No, I mean, I would imagine that this film will be up there for some Oscar contenders. I would Not necessarily for everything, um, but certainly screenplay. I, yeah, exactly, I'd be amazed if screenplay uh, was Cinematography in there as well. Yeah, sure, it should be. Whether it, it, it is for directing as well because it is very well done. Has, uh, he, had, has he had a best director? Because I'm just thinking, he's got to get to. I mean, I doubt he cares because he's Tarantino, but. Normally, the Academy get to a point where they're like, oh, we haven't given this person an Oscar yeah. yet, so we need to make sure he gets the Oscar, because obviously Scorsese won it for one of his worst films. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope he doesn't win it for The Irishman, because... Uh, I think I, uh, well, I think he's obviously going to be up for a lot on that. He's going to be mean, up for you, a lot, but I don't If you want to put it up for, put it off on technical bounds. Oh, yeah, I have... The, the, you know, the fact, like you say, they haven't yeah, done yeah, yeah. the hands, I've heard, because I haven't managed to watch The Irishman yet, as I say, but I've heard the hands you can see. Yeah. You know, because they're seventy-year-old man hands yes. at some points, yes. and with a thirty-year-old face, and it just doesn't work. But yeah, if you want to put them up for technical achievement or something, that's fine. No, the, costume, I I attire, uh, for... the 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 way that the, it is shot, the 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 whole the mise en scène of it all mm -hmm. works Ooh, a treat. Nice mise en scène. Uh, kicking it back to the old. Uh... I was going to say, I wish I knew what that meant. I just know it's something to do with film. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do film, so, you know. I didn't okay. do film well, at uni, so I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, that's taking me back to my. I just know it's a yeah. thing. <laughs> Um, but no, so yeah, on, on those grounds, sure. Mm. On, on other things, 
no, not so much. But um, so there you go. That was my number three. Cool. Um, so yeah, my number two. Did you finish talking about that one? Yeah, simply enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm just worried this that like if we cut, did we finish the previous cut yeah, off properly? No, no, no. Anytime we do, so, we always do it. Yeah. Back to my num- Back to me then for number two. So. My number two is Inglorious Bastards okay. from 2009. Now, again, let's look at the cast list, shall we? <laughs> Brad Pitt, yeah. Christoph Waltz, yeah. Daniel Brühl, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, mm-hmm. uh, even Mike Myers. Oh God, yes, I forget. The American Mike General. Yeah. Shit, yeah, I forgot. Like in a bit of a cameo, but it's funny. Oh, and uh, Melanie Laurent, who I wasn't familiar with. But is the is Shoshana uh, Stroke Emmanuel uh, the Jewish girl who's who yes. we meet at the beginning yes, 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 and then we follow yes, yes, all the yes, way yes. through? So two prong plot for this one, and again it's an alternate history. So it's him doing alternate timeline of the Second World War. So we start in a Jewish household. Um, daughter is being held. Oh, well, daughter is hiding. Uh, little girl is hiding. Family are upstairs being interrogated by Christoph Foltz. Is name where is he? Hans Lander. That's right. Um, so they're being interrogated by Hans Lander about, you know, are they hiding people? Have they got any Jews here? Blah blah blah. And she's hiding under the floor. Things happen to her, and she then goes on for vengeance. So we sort of follow her story, and at the same time, because we're in the middle of the war, uh, Second World War. Um, we also meet a bunch of Jewish US soldiers who are on an undercover mission to bring down the Nazi government and end the war. And those two threads sort of run along each other and then tie tie together at the end, as, as you would expect. So we're just cutting between the two of them in our different chapters. The reason I think I love this one, and I loved this film from the first scene, and it's that first scene, we're in this house... And Christoph Foltz, and is it the mum or the dad? But her parents, the girl's parents, are there, and he wants a glass of milk. The, it's the tension, mm-hmm. the fucking tension mm-hmm. in that scene. I think it's twenty, twenty-five minutes long by the end of it. It's all dialogue, no real action going on. It's just him talking to these people. But Jesus fucking Christ, I was on the edge of my seat, man. Is this it's where? Is this the ridiculous. one he won the Oscar for? I think it might have been, yeah. and he fucking should have done because yeah. he is the standout of this throughout. Was it, was it best actor or supporting? It was. Some, I think I mean, it was supporting. Supporting, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, which would work. But yeah, it's just he's creating all this tension, and okay, the music is having a hand in it. Of course, it is. But it's it, it is the dialogue that he's written. So the script is giving some nice meaty, you know, words that can be interpreted two ways. So that you're not sure whether he means this or does he mean that. Mm-hmm. And this is nice, but that's really dark if that's what he means. Um, and Christoph Waltz himself. He's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. He does this understated bad guy who... You, it's, it's that quiet menace, yeah. that fury behind the eyes. Yeah. You just feel that at any second, <laughs> he could just pull out a gun yeah. and shoot you blind yes, in the face. Yes, sit down, have a cup of coffee and walk yeah. away. You yes. know? And, and just not even think yeah. about it for the rest of his life. Yeah. And I think he's brilliant at that. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Spectre, the Bond film, but I love his interpretation of Blofeld in that. I think it's really good because it is that quiet menace. It's that understated... 
I have power over you right now, and I know I have power over you. So you could, you're going to do anything I ask you to do right now. And it's, but he's doing it through nothing more than words yeah. and physicality, uh, your body language, tone of voice, uh, eyes, you know, looks. It, it's all just in that. Yeah. And it's so good. There's a scene slightly later on as well where he's having strudel. And there's a discussion around strudel and where the best strudel comes from and stuff. And again, it's the quiet, because I believe, if I remember rightly, I didn't have time to rewatch this one actually, but if I remember rightly, he, he runs into Shosanna again, but she's older now and she's changed her name and he doesn't know it's her, but she served him the strudel. And he kind of, you, you end up thinking, oh shit, he knows, mm -hmm. because suddenly he's talking to her and he's talking to her about strudel, but he's not talking to her about strudel. That's the last thing he's talking to mm. her about. But it, it, that, that's so fucking good. And again, it's tense. Um, there's a scene in a bar when the US meet the Brits and they sort of get to, uh, trying to put together some plans. Mm. And it just all goes wrong. And most of them end up dead. Mm. But it's, I, could, I couldn't believe. I was, again, the tension builds and builds and builds throughout the scene as if something's going to happen. But even then, I was sitting going, no, but I'm watching Michael Fassbender and this person and that person. You're not going to kill them mm -hmm. at halfway through the film. It's just not going to happen. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> Shit. But again, it's that thing of Tarantino. It's like, yeah, he's dead. Yeah. And yeah, he's been shot in the heart. Yeah. He's bleeding like fuck. He's dead. Yeah. No, no revivals, no, no, no resurrections. No, no. no one's like going to go over and no, it's fine, we we'll put the things on and blah, 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 yet. and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll put this on. And nah, but no, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And it's like, I can't believe you've just killed off all those famous actors in this one point. Uh, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just I just think it's good. And it's, it is that thing, again, that as I watch more and more of his stuff, it's this almost penchant he has for, for just, for death, coming out of nowhere. And taking out that character. And I love that. Because it that's, again, it's this whole thing of trying to make it seem more real. Because yeah. that is what happens in real life. One minute, I'm sat here talking to you. The next minute, I'm dead. Yeah, and you know? it's... Uh... And it, there, is no, there is no big send-off. There's yeah. no big heroic moment to, when I, I just died. Yeah. And it's the impact. And then that's you're the left difference. afterwards. It's the impact afterwards. Yeah. It's not like others where it just kind of brushes that aside and we've lost a character. That's fine, we'll carry on. No, we've lost a character. That's quite integral to the plot now. Shit, we're going to have to change things up. Yeah, exactly. And that is where he will take that into. Exactly. And he's, like I say, it's, it's that once you are aware that he's not afraid to, to do that as well, that's when his films become better as well as they go on because then you're constantly on the edge going, right, but this is the lead actor in the film. He's not going to kill the lead actor, is he? Well, he might. Mm, yeah, he could actually, mm. couldn't he? It's Tarantino. Shit, anything's possible. And it, it, so it, it then keeps you guessing the whole time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't really got a huge amount more to say about it, because like I said, unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to rewatch it. Mm. Um, but I, I, yeah, and again, because it's damn near three hours long, so... <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's not it's, a short, no, one. It's not a short um, one. Eli Roth, I think, is the only name I didn't mention, because I don't really like Eli Roth, but he plays the bear. Junior. Yeah, no, I mean, as a, as a director, he's made some... It was a hostel. He, it that's hostel? where he went wrong. Yeah, that's he See, made that, that. He did a horror film called Cabin Fever, which um, was fantastic because it was pitched as a slasher flick. Kids go out to cabin in the woods. Bad things start happening. People start dying, and you think it's one of them. And then the twist at the end was it was a virus. It was a disease that had come from 
uh, a poisoned lake or something. But that was interesting at the time. I was like, huh, you put a new spin on the whole Cabin in the Woods thing. As a performer Fair in enough. the film, though, I, I, I think, think he was very good. Yeah, especially yeah. in that role as the, the Bear Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. he does really yeah, well yeah. as that. Um, so yeah, I'd much rather see him as an actor than make any more hostile films or mm. whatever. He's yeah, I blame him for the creation of torture porn as a genre. Yeah. They never should have been a genre called torture yeah. porn. I remember watching a film called Captivity with Elisha Cuthbert, who was Kim Bauer in Twenty Four back in the day. Elisha Cuthbert is. Um, obviously, I know her from The Girl Next Door. That was. Oh God, we I was all in, I was in love with that woman. We were all in love with her after that film. I wasn't in love with her because of Kim Bauer, because she was a fucking liability as Kim Bauer. But oh, yeah, and also because Jack Bauer might come and kill you. Well, true, true, true. Um, <laughs> yeah, she ended, he ended up killing most he, of her boyfriends. He, he'd come and do uh, a John McClane. Yeah, that's it. Um, and yeah, <laughs> most of her boyfriends ended up dead, probably because of Because <laughs> um, even the ones when she was dating members of CTU, they still ended up yeah, yeah, dead yeah, because yeah, they went yeah, on a mission yeah, with yeah. Jack Bauer. Yeah, um, but, yeah, where was I going with that? But yeah, there's a film called Captivity. <laughs> but she was, it was a total torture porn thing, but, but they were put on hostel and they like blended up one of her friends and she was forced to drink it and stuff. Oh, and I was like, what? oh my god, you're just going, this is too far. Yeah. It's no. too fucking no, far. No. I mean, hostel, I kind of got the idea. Oh, look, there's some dickheads in the world who want to kill people and they'll pay to go to a place where they can torture and kill people. Mm-hmm. All right. But again, you're not. They didn't come at it the right way. No. They didn't go out there to go. Oh my God, aren't these people assholes? It just seemed a bit like glorifying it mm-hmm. again. You know, just like, oh, look at these people. Look what they can do. Look what they can get away with. And mm-hmm. isn't it cool? No. No, it it's isn't. Not. Really isn't. It really isn't. Really. Isn't. But anyway. Oh, so yeah, Inglorious Bastards is my number two. Now, if that's your number two, what's? I. I mean, yeah, that's my. Okay, so that's my number one. That's your number one. Okay, so what I will do Which is then, why I said I didn't think I will, it in a million years. I will, what I will do, so I will defer my number one and... So we know that your number down. one is actually this then. This this is my number one. Yes. But for the sake we'll of We'll talk about your number two when we get to my number one. Yes, that's fine. Okay, okay so my number one would be Pulp Fiction. Yeah, which, which is fair enough. Which is ironic. I mean, Absolute I know that you enough. said that, uh, you know, you have... But I think for me, this was the film... I, I mean, I studied this at uni. Now, mm-hmm. I had to study this back and forth. A number of times. I think for me, it's the film that really put Tarantino on the map. Yeah, oh, of, I couldn't argue. You know, that in pop culture and things like that. Now, again, we're we're looking at this cast. I mean, we've gone through most of these Tarantino films, and Jesus Christ, what what a cast! In this one, he gets John Travolta, who'd been absolutely absent from cinema for a decent film for a good fucking long while, and probably has been since, unless you count Battlefield Earth. No. No, we won't do that. Uh, <laughs> or, I don't think I put Swordfish in, but maybe I need to watch it again. Yeah, okay. Maybe it's not all I remember it being. Yeah, all right. I, um, I loved Swordfish at the time. Um, but we've got Samuel L. Jackson uh, paired up against John Travolta. <coughs> uh, we've got a relative newcomer for me at the time was Uma Thurman. Who mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really fantastic. know much about her. You've got Harvey Keitel in there. You've got Tim Roth back in there again. You've got Ving Rhames in there. Which I kind of forgot about that, and I was like, "Yeah, he's in the in yeah, because he's part because it's always the Bruce Willis bit that I forget." Yeah, and then and he's the part of that. Walking in there as well with the whole this is this is your you know your your father's watch speech yeah. sticking it up his ass and stuff yeah. like that. What a speech! Yeah, uh, you got Bruce Willis in there as well. I mean, but oh, this and Tim is, Roth. Yeah, Tim. He's Roth. one of the robbers at the beginning, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he well, is. he is. The, he's the main you know guy in the yeah, yeah. in the diner, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and uh, him and Honey Bear. I just remember the beginning of, is it Scooby Snacks? Yeah. Fun Loving Criminals that yeah. samples it? Yeah. 
any of you fucking pigs move. I'm gonna execute every, every motherfucking last one, one of you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, this is like that multi-themed. Uh, sorry, multi-threaded story yes. with three interconnected main stories: uh, the Vincent, the Jules, and the Butch. Yeah. Um, now these are sequences which aren't necessarily in chronological order. Which, when you're watching the film, you kind of go, "Huh," but it makes perfect sense to the narrative that he is telling. And also, it makes me go back because I had to study this when I was studying it. Um, I had to study what was the impact of this scene for this one. The fact that. Without some of the interplay, Jules would have been around to help Vincent, so Vincent wouldn't have died when Bruce Willis killed him, because he would have actually had his backup instead of Vince Rames, his character, who gets run out, and all this kind of stuff. So it all threads back to itself. Um, but I mean, this is there are so many iconic scenes and speeches in this film. The Everyone the, knows Royale with cheese. The, Royale with cheese. Yeah. yeah. You know what they call a what is it? What, uh, I, I what do you call know, a uh, what they call a whopper in America yeah. in Europe yeah. or something? Royal well, cheese. cheese. Yeah. Um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel twenty five uh, twenty four twenty five seventy. I don't know. Damn I've, it! I used to know that speech. Yeah. Twenty five seventeen or something. Yeah, like, uh, but I the don't path even... of the righteous one is beset on all sides by the tyranny and the iniquity of evil men. And I could probably yeah. go on and probably do most of that speech. Not do it justice, but bit. I could probably do it. Is it what? Say that again. Oh yeah. Say that one more time, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that from that? What's yeah. he saying? I, I can't remember. It's in that sequence, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's where they're where they're, they're like holding guns to each other. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, the, like I say, the various iconic scenes, the the dancing scene, exactly. There you go, straight away. Um, the you know the the scene where she's just like Uma Thurman sat in the car. She's like, "What are you a square?" Oh, and God, just yeah. that comes up on screen. Um, you know, the, there's the scene with the gimp. Uh, you know, yeah. Bruce Willis walks in there, and he, yeah, there's a gimp. In a, in a little dungeon, in a little box, and you're like, what the fuck? And then he comes back with a, a katana sword. Like, and it, there's so many iconic scenes that have been played up in pop culture yeah, yeah. time and time and time again. Yeah, um, it's an homage in places to films of its past. Yeah. Uh, I love the little cameos of various different... Steve Buscemi's in there as just a, a befundled waiter. No, no, no real thing, but it's... What's Steve a befundled waiter? Befuddled. befuddled. <laughs> Screw you. Um, you know, like I say, that, that, that speech, the music, the briefcase. Yeah, I mean, the music again for that has to be... And yeah, the briefcase, isn't the it? The briefcase. Because it, it just goes glows, through, doesn't yeah. it? And it you goes never see through, what's in there, do you? And that goes through other films. I mean, is, is, is it, it in Reservoir Dogs? I'm sure it's in Reservoir Dogs. But that's the first one. But, so, that, but as in, but as in the thread. Before... But that's the, as in the thread of the briefcase. Because it's again, it's come up in pop culture. I've watched things yeah. where like you it's know, just a glowing a, briefcase, yeah. isn't it? And you never ever get to see what's in it, and yeah. you never get told what's in it. Yeah. Um, the performances of most of the actors in this is absolutely fantastic. They appear to absolutely relish the change in roles that they've had. Like I say, for Travolta, from being the you know the the, the Baby face of most films. Yeah, he's being a very good guy. Squeaky clean is the word. Yeah, that popped yeah. Into my I mean, head. granted, he's a crazy Scientologist and all that that we yeah. know now. Yeah. But this was the film that actually kind of put him on that. Okay, I can be a bit deeper, a little bit grittier, and he really sold that performance. Him playing off of Samuel L. Jackson was great. Him playing off of Uma Thurman was great. Uh, there's the scene where she snorts a bunch of heroin and completely freaks out. Yeah, and then he's got to, you know take her and then stab her in that. There's so many amazing pieces in this in this film um 
I mean, to be fair, this is this is the epitome of Tarantino for me. Juggling these multi-storyline threads, yeah. juggling such great actors, getting dialogue that actually goes nowhere but says a lot. Mm. And this was, for me, quintessential Tarantino. Mm. The style of it, the, the cinematography, the music, the editing. The fact that he edited it in the way that he did and it became so successful. Just even the posters, I'm not sure. Oh, no, we've got a poster down there. That poster is so oh, yeah, iconic. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, again, just the, the 10 cent on it. Just the that distressed old look that he's yeah, got. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, for me, is the reason why it is number one. For me, it was quintessential Tarantino. That's fair enough. Was, has always been a, a, one of my favourites. My argument would be that that was quintessential Tarantino. Mm. I don't think that is Tarantino anymore. Not necessarily, no, but, but uh, you, know, you know, that's it. I would say that's his evolution. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say by he's, I don't feel a lot of his more recent works, like I said, particularly after Jackie Brown, I don't think he really went back to the cool, mm. you know, just trying to yeah, this was have the cool characters, you know. Because Kill, Kill Bill's cool. She's, yeah. um, oh, what is it, the bride. She is a cool character and she is very cool. But, you know, she's a hero. She's She's our hero. She's or heroine rather she's going out to fight the good fight and get revenge for what's the, the wrongs that have been done to her she's not a bad guy that we've made seem like the coolest person on earth you know um, I now, think it's just to find I mean I think it's it's one of those things where again I look at that and I go as a main film mm. like this is his second main directorial yeah. film oh, what a fucking film yeah, like, yeah. That, oh, that is still you know that is still I, I don't know where it would be on Top 100 films of all time, but I would imagine probably cracking the top 50 at the very least. Oh yeah, I just said so. Like you say, it is a very impressive, considering it was his second film. Yeah, it is. It is very good. Just a little bit on pop fiction. Um, I don't know whether this is true or not. I haven't researched it to be honest, but I always heard this um, that uh, the pop fiction when they first test screened it, mm. things were in a different order, mm. and John Travolta by the end of the film uh, was dead. Whereas technically, if you watch the film, yes. he's alive yes. at the end yes. because he dies in a scene that comes before. Yeah. But I, I heard that in the test screenings that because John Travolta was such a babyface, as you say, or you know, such a popular um, actor at the time, the studio it didn't play well mm. because he was dead at the end of the film. Mm. And the studio said, no, he can't be dead by the end of the film. He's got to be alive. So Tarantino switched the order of a couple of scenes so that technically... The audience had seen him alive yeah. at the end of the film. The perception that he's and still it alive. seemed to yeah, work right, that yeah. the audience then walked out thinking, "Oh yeah, he's still alive," yeah. even though they'd seen him die earlier in the film. Yeah. And apparently, that was enough for the studio to go, "Yeah, that's mm -hmm. fine. Okay, we can put it out like that because now you've he he seems to be alive by the end of the film." Now, like I say, whether that's just an urban myth that still circulates now and and what isn't true, I don't know because uh, I can't imagine. Like, to me, it makes me think, well, what, well, the whole thing was in chronological order to start with? God, it's... Which you seems know what? unlikely, I, because we know Tarantino yeah. likes messing with the chronology of things and telling stories out of order. Now, again, this is, I don't know, rumour will or, or whether it does exist. I had heard that somebody, whether this was a fan, somebody had actually gone back and put the movie in chronological order to see what it was like. And it's, it's like any other film that you completely chop and change. It makes the whole thing look completely different. Mm. And understandably so. I would imagine that there were chops and changes on the editing room floor, but yeah, that's an interesting... Yeah, not so. I don't know whether yeah, yeah. It's, how genuine that is these days, but it's just always something I've mm. had stuck in my head. 
Right, so what's your number one? So I my wonder. number one, of course, because you know how much I love westerns. Um, Where did this come from? <laughs> this is my absolute yeah, double moment. I'm like completely confused. You won't know. What? Uh, I, I will explain. So, uh, yeah, my number one and your number, number two, two yeah. is The Hateful Eight yeah. from 2015, which, if you watch it on Netflix, and I don't know when they're going to change this, okay. that is his ninth film, because it was the last one he did before Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Yeah? If you watch the titles at the beginning, certainly on Netflix, on the copy I watched, it said The Hateful Eight, the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino. See, do they include Death Proof? Not originally. Apparently, when they did that film... They didn't consider Death Proof canon That's because where I was leading, Death yeah. Proof technically wasn't ever released on its own in the cinema. Yes, yeah. It was released as Grindhouse, which yeah. was a three-hour thing. Yeah. And in the middle of the two films, you got loads of trailers for fake films, which one of them was Machete, yes. starring Danny Trejo, yes. and the trailer was hilarious. But and obviously, that then actually spawned, spawned an actual film, yeah. Machete, and Machete kills after it. Um, and there was there was a Nick Cage one which was hilarious as well. Nick Cage in a similarly mm. grubby looking grindhouse Robert Rodriguez joint, and that, that, that was really good. But yes, because of that, they apparently didn't consider because technically Death Proof was a co-direct project with Robert Rodriguez, as far as they saw it. But sure. now it has been brought into canon. Which is why then you go to Once Upon a Time in America and everything's saying the tenth film by Quentin okay. Tarantino. So it's like okay, okay all right, fair all right, right. Okay. But I don't know whether they're ever going to go back and retrospectively correct the hateful eight. But anyway, so I know I don't like westerns. I know I'm but completely baffled. I would argue that this, although it hits a lot of western tropes, mm-hmm. isn't a traditional western. Okay. It hits western tropes. It's based in the frontiersman West, but there's not, you know, there's no saloon. Well, we're in a saloon, aren't we? We're in the haberdashery. Yeah, yeah the haberdashery, as it is. Um, we're in there. So we're not, you know, going through saloony doors, drinking, sipping whiskey from things and having standoffs at dawn and all mm. that sort of stuff that I would associate with traditional Westerns. So maybe I'm being hugely undermining Westerns and not give them the credit I don't know I haven't seen enough that's mm. that's my admittal in the first place but this is more of a uh, it's more of a, a character piece it's mm. it's not about where it is or the time it's set it, it's about the characters and yeah, no, playing I, them I, and yeah, their stories yeah, no, you know? I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. now again the reason this one comes so high for me is because I think this for me was he, he, he'd hit his peak. You, it, going back slightly, so I don't know whether you remember at the time that he was planning to do this film. Mm. They had, he, he got together all the actors. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they had a read-through of the script on stage, some dickhead recorded it and released it, and then Tarantino said, no, I'm not doing the film mm. then, because you all know it. And then apparently he changed the end and redid it. But I think, like, think about that. The thing was so popular, it went down so well with no costumes, with no background, with no props, with no music, no nothing. Just a read-through of the script went down so well Mm -hmm. that someone put it out there and people loved it. That's where he's... It's the dialogue. And again, I look at this film and I love the dialogue because it it is that old-timey Western what I would associate with being the, the Southern American drawl. Mm. 
of of those times that we are you know maybe stereotypically given but you know it's Samuel L. Jackson's beautiful delivery of some of this stuff Kurt Russell being amazing again Jennifer Jason Leigh is phenomenal Daisy Donoghue Love Absolutely her. Love her. She's Absolutely so phenomenal. good. And yeah, I've never seen her like this, really. Uh, you know, she's, again, I know her from some fairly clean cut stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know her from some weird stuff like Existence. Yeah, for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that, pops oh, into yeah my head. I, that still pops in my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, she's, yeah, it's just a totally different person that you see there. And her character is incredible because it isn't just the one dimensional female character. It's this, it's that. And then there's twists and turns. As we go along, um, and also just shout out to Walton Goggins. I, well. I was literally just about to say, God, I love and I've got to mention Walton. Love Goggins. this guy. I love this it, guy. His voice, it's his voice is the one I love the most. Mm-hmm. He's got the best accent on it. It's the the again. It's that in those that that southern draw, that western voice. It, it it's the pronunciation of things, and it's the dialect mm-hmm. and, and the words that they're using. Just the way they come out with that accent on them just takes it up a notch yeah. for me. Um, but again, you're building all of this. It is building amazing tension. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is, I think, a two, what is it, two and a half, two hour, 40? Two, I think it's just over two and a half. Just so let's say a two and a half hour masterclass in slow burn storytelling. Mm-hmm. You, you could not get, like if a scriptwriter came to you and said, how do I build tension? And how do I keep people interested in a story for this length? Go watch that. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. You, you, I didn't turn away from that for ages. Yeah. And it's the bit where he's... Um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character's talking to the older man, whose name I have Bruce written Dern. down, actually. Bruce Dern, that's right. Um, talking to him, sat talking to him, and then he stands up, and there's the whole discussion about his son and stuff. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's so fucking... Brilliant, because mm-hmm. you've got Bruce Dern reacting to it, as he should, and Samuel L. just with a wry smile on his face, knowing that he is chipping away at the heart of this man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's just like, how many more words do I need to say before I've got you? Yeah. How have, oh, let's have try a couple more then. Let's yeah. try this description of it. And But again, it's the language that he's using to describe the things that he's done. And I'm trying not to give it away too much, because again... I. I do think this is worth watching for anyone, whether you mm. like Tarantino or not. It's just the storytelling and the, the, the build of tension. The music is incredible because mm. you've got Ennio Morricone in to do it. So you've got that guy from the tradition, you know, from the Westerns that everyone knows yeah. and you've heard before. And it's, you know, the opening sequence where they're trudging through the snow. It's yeah, just see, five that's... minutes of like a car yeah. coming towards us in the snow, being pulled yeah. by horses. Yeah, I've got that but like snowy, in... isolated tri- trading post. Just that iconic, that iconic scene as you look at it, and you just think, "Hold on, they're traveling in that." But that's that's that... so yeah, the the setting there mm-hmm. and the atmosphere that we're creating. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I genuinely felt cold at times mm-hmm. watching this film. Like, I, I don't know whether they did shoot it outside in the freezing wastes or whether they shot it in a studio. It's Tarantino, but so exactly. anything's possible. And I'm fairly sure you can genuinely see breath at points, whereas, <laughs> yeah. you know, in a lot of films, they'll CG breath in if yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be cold. Yeah. But it helps, you know, and it's uh, when the actors go to the coffee pot and they, they genuinely seem to be enjoying <sighs> the warmth from it. Give me the warmth. Me, me the warmth. Yeah, and again, yeah, yeah. that just puts across to us the, the impression and the wind is just constantly there in the background, yeah. howling away, rising and falling, 
thing. Yeah. Every time the door opens, you feel, you're like, oh, oh god, it's gold. Shut the fucking door. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah god, yeah, that, yeah. I mean that is a great joke that plays throughout the whole thing, isn't yeah. it? The door. Um, <laughs> you need two pieces of wood. Two. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. Um, where chapter four, I really like the beginning of. It's it's slightly. Slightly odd in the film, I think, because by the time we get to chapter four, we haven't had a narrator or anything to kind of introduce us to anything. Yet at the beginning of chapter four, we start with a narrator. And essentially, it's just running us around, catching us up on where we are. But it's uh, the chapter is called Donagu's Got a Secret, and it's it's where she knows who's poisoned the coffee. And Tarantino is, is the narrator himself, um, doing some little fourth wall breaks and mm -hmm. stuff, which, again... I know he's used before in other films, but in this one, we hadn't seen that yet. Mm. So it was interesting when that, that came in, but it didn't take over, it didn't then carry on for the rest of it. It was just like for this little bit, and I almost felt like it was a, almost like a half-time thing, you know, like a midpoint yeah. point of going, okay, this is where we are, this is where we're going for the rest, and off we go. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, again, we've touched on the deaths and everything, but they are brutal, they are final, they are painful. And in this one particularly, it's Tim Roth. When, <laughs> when he gets shot, he annoys the piss out of me because he's screaming like someone would if they were in agony. He's just hamming it up. He is, it, no yeah, end. absolutely. But as we say, it works yeah. because it feels genuine then. Yeah. Because Tim Roth's such a good actor, he wouldn't be overacting just <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. sake of it. He's like, oh, shit, I've been shot, man. He's just running, ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... That, it would fucking hurt. You've yeah. been shot by a flintlock rifle with some fucking balls in it. You know, yeah. metal balls. It isn't going to be clean. It no. isn't going to be nice. No. It, you know, there's going to be blood flowing. There's going to be a big fucking hole in you. And you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Probably nothing you can do about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that comes into it as well. Because it's that realisation in those what times. You know, they know that they that if they get shot like that in this scenario, as you said earlier, you know, we're in... We're trapped. Yeah. We're in this location. Maybe you didn't say that earlier. Mm. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, but yeah, the deaths feel, and, and you know, the, the, one of the main characters, when they get shot, I was like, oh my God. I didn't think, I thought that person was coming through to the end mm -hmm. and was going to live on and we were going to, you know. He spoilers, was, spoilers everywhere. Well, potentially. Um, and he was going to be the, the guy. Yeah. But obviously, no, that isn't the case. And yeah, it's it's really uh, I, I I really enjoy it. I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm torn on the reveal of the the extra baddie, if I can be a little bit vague with it, because I don't like that way of doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, and having this thing that no one could have ever guessed because we've never been shown any hints that it existed. Um, you know, it's like a shit who done it from like, True Detective season four when the bad guy, the perpetrator, turned out to be someone we never could have guessed because we never met the character. We didn't know the character existed mm. in the world. It's just bad storytelling. But I will give it pass because, as we've said, it, 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 he changed the ending. Mm -hmm. So for all I know, it had a different ending that didn't do yeah. that, and he changed it to that because he was like, "Well, I've got to do something that no one is going to know at all." Even if they've heard the script read through, yeah. So you know, I, I'll, I'll give it a break because of that, um, because it, it puts that shock element in there. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I've, I've not really got a huge amount more to say on it, really. No, I mean, as you would have expected, it was going to be on my list because I love a good western. Of course, and of course. although, uh, as you say, it doesn't necessarily have all of the tropes of a western that that, that 
well, some version of a Western. I mean, you've still got a fugitive and a bounty hunter. But yeah, you're very still, right. Yes, yeah, 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 that's very true. Back to that. Uh, you know, they're picking up another bounty hunter mm. and they're picking up the future sheriff in the great Walton Goggins. Just, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't speak enough about the guy. He's just fantastic. He's, he's, he's one of the standouts of this, definitely. Um, again, this cast, Jennifer Jason Leigh, uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Tim Roth, Walton Goggins, Bruce Dern, to name but a few. Um, well, I won't give away all of them because obviously that would be revealing True. some, some uh, other characters as well. But I mean, these are some, some seriously colourful characters. This single room, again, taking it back to what we said about Reservoir Dogs, this one room, this mm. bottle uh, episode, as I referred to it in previous one, obviously that's more TV, but just confining a small group of characters in this environment, um, everything that's going to happen between them, they're stuck in the middle of nowhere, this snowy, isolated trading post. They haven't really got a choice. They can't hop on a wagon and bugger off, yeah, yeah. they're stuck in this area, it's like, yeah, these people are not going to get on. How many of these people are even going to make it out alive? That's and you it. get that feeling. Absolutely, and I think that feeling, like you say, of uh, almost claustrophobia, of, yeah. uh, that, that you're stuck here, and people aren't going to get on, and things are going to come to the forefront, and that adds to the tension yeah. as you go along, because you know that the people can't just walk away from this scenario. They're yeah. going to have to face whatever comes at them. Yeah, I mean, it's got... Uh, as any Tarantino film does, the, go the, the, the gore and the blood, mm. which are required and necessary and integral. That's mm. not just throw away of, oh, okay, here's a bit of blood and gore. No, 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 you're going to get shot in that era. Guess what? You are going to bleed like a stuck pig because that's exactly how the realism of it is. Yeah, it's not a, a nine millimeter in the clean day and age where it's just going to go whoop through your shoulder. No, 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 that bullet is going to get stuck. Mm -hmm. It's going to fuck you up. Yeah. Uh, you know, God knows what uh, you know diseases you could pick up from that. Not quite. So. I mean, uh, yeah, you don't even think about infection and exactly, things that would have yeah. been rife at the time. That probably would have killed them if they could have stopped the bleeding. Exactly. You know? It's a real examination of the human condition. Hmm. Um, each of these characters interacting completely differently to one another. Like you said before, uh, Samuel L. Jackson kind of grinding on you know Bruce Dern a oh, little bit. That, that um, sequence is just incredible. And that's it. And and the interplay between others. Uh, you know, there's there's twists, there's turns, there's betrayals, there's conspiracies. There's okay, what's going to happen now? Uh, and that's the, again, that's always the suspenseful thing of a western. Granted, you would kind of like to hope that the the good guy's going to win. Or westerns necessarily end that way. No, no. Um, you know, you've got reveals of character stories as the film develops. Uh, you know, you've got flashback chapter. Don't want to say too much more on that. No. Uh, but the interplay between all of the cast is just tremendous. And, and the lines are delivered with such passion and such enjoyment. As we've said before, there, there's a reason that some of the cast keep coming back. Your people like you, some of those your Tim Roths. Well, yeah, other, I mean, Tim Roth, we, yeah, so he was in Reservoir Dogs front and centre, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Then came back for Pulp Fiction, even yeah. though he was just a secondary character. And here we are 20 years later, and he's a lead role. Well, not a lead role, but, you know, he's part of the main yeah. ensemble, let's yeah, say. He's more important than Bob the Mexican yeah. than, but, you know, yeah. he's mid-pack. But there's a reason that so many of these actors keep going back to Tarantino, and so many actors want to work with him, because he will give them lines mm. that, once delivered... You know, that that's, you know, a soundbite for, for the rest of their bloody careers, for yeah. say. Well, he's, let's face it, he's the only reason Michael Madsen still has a career. I haven't seen him in anything other than Tarantino work in about ten years now. Um, and that's the thing. They enjoyed this. I enjoyed watching it. And that's that's the thing. When you get to the end and sometimes you just like, as I did with Django Unchained, I just got to the end of Django and I was like, I really, I'm just glad this is finished. 
I'm not going to watch this again. I'm probably never going to watch this again. Whereas Hate for Later was like, oh, I'll look forward to watching this mm -hmm. again at some point. Because again, it's long, but it don't, I don't think it feels it. No, no, certainly not. Because you, you, you're so into it, you're so tense, you're so you know, on the edge of your seat wanting to know what's going to happen in terms of story and in terms of action as well and I mean I don't mean explody action cars flipping over yeah. because it's a western isn't it? there isn't that but there is action to come there are things that are going to happen you know so uh, my number two your number one indeed okay so they shout out to Dave Mortimer for suggesting uh, the Tarantino episode. We do listen, we do listen. We do like listen. I say, I've just been sitting on it because I wanted Once Upon a Time to come out before uh, we pick this topic. But thanks for suggesting it. If you've got any other suggestions, what's your favorite? What have we missed? Where are we wrong? You tell us. We've got comment section now on YouTube. I'd leave it in the reviews, go to the Facebook page, send us a message, whatever you want to do. Facebook.com forward slash the Screen Masters. There is a post pinned to the top of that where you can find links to the YouTube channel. Please go over there, give us a like, subscribe to the channel. It all helps. It's going to help to eventually monetize the channel, which will then start to pay for this studio and our space and our designing as we continue to go for all the YouTube viewers. You can see that we've changed our background for this week and we are continuing to make more changes. We're also in more comfortable chairs because I couldn't handle the bar stools. And my bum's still a bit sore. Yeah, your bum's still a bit sore, that's fair enough. Um, I still think there's other reasons for that. But, um, yes, go to the Facebook page, go to the YouTube channel, like us, subscribe to us, send us a message, whatever you want to do. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the Patreon site, where we have tiers at... 5, 10, and 50. See, that's where we, you know, that's the 15, yeah, we need remember. the 15 thing. Yeah, we, I'm yeah, not putting my hand between your legs. Right, yeah. With tiers of 1, 10, and $15. Uh, and you can support us and get extra content. Um, and we will be really appreciative. I don't know what I was going to say there. I lost my line halfway through. But there you go. Thank you very much for joining us, everyone. Um, like I say, get involved. Give us a message. Give us a like, subscribe, whatever. We will see you for the next one. And uh, a happy new year to you all. Even though by the time you're listening to this, it's probably the, the end, end of January. January but yeah. Hope you've had a good first month like of say, the year. We've been doing this a few, for, for only for about six months. So we're getting there. Don't worry, next year we're going to be planned in advance for when we're shooting the Christmas episodes. Oh, were we? Yeah, yeah, because we should have had tinsel round stuff and, you know, we should have been dressed up with our Christmas hats and wishing people Merry Dude, Christmas. I don't do Christmas. But Yeah, I know, but it was November. I don't do Christmas in November. I don't do Christmas so anyway. full stop. I don't even own a well, tree. Uh, fair enough. Comments section down there. What do you think? Should he own a tree? Why doesn't he do Christmas? Hmm, I don't know. Is he the second coming of Scrooge? Hey, I still watch my Christmas Guardians of the Galaxy film. That was Christmassy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we do a Christmas movies episode, you can't put Guardians in there Why? just because it's your Christmas It's my movie. Christmas It's my Christmas movie. Yeah, but it's movie. not a Christmas movie. Yeah, well, just as Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, day four. <laughs> you know, you know there's going to be comeback off that. I enjoy seeing the next time we get to cross over with the boys. Anyway, for now, that's enough. <laughs> I've been Bab. I've been Fluff. And this has been Screen Masters.